Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. We are in a series titled, This is Our God. Uh, We are in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Everybody celebrate. We have reached the midway point of this one-year series, This is Our God. Give yourself a pat on the back. Come on, big old clap. Woo! The middle of the Bible is Psalms. We just finished Psalms, so if you ever want to impress people, you can say, you know what the middle of the Bible is? Psalms. Not a very impressive thing to know, but you can tell people, okay? So we just passed the midway point. We are now on the second half of the lap. We are in Proverbs. And uh, I love the book of Proverbs. It's actually the first book I ever read all the way through as a new believer. Uh, my young mentor, um, when I was a young kid, my mentor told me, a proverb a day uh, will keep the fool in you away. And so I started reading Proverbs. And there's 31 Proverbs, so I read a proverb a day. And in 31 days, I read through a book in the Bible for the very first time as a young believer. Um, and the book of Proverbs, it's this beautiful book. Um, it really is the greatest hits. You could say Solomon is the primary author of Proverbs, uh, the wisest man ever to live. Uh, and that's what God said outside of Jesus, of course, that he literally had the gift of wisdom. And he wrote 3,000 Proverbs, but then uh, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they condensed and was chosen by, um, I think it was Hezekiah, forgive me, who put all the Proverbs together and uh, made this book of Proverbs. The word proverb literally means short saying. That's all it means, a short saying. Uh, Another way you could say it is um, Proverbs is a short saying based on a long experience. It's a concentrated truth. And so I'm excited to be in the book of Proverbs. Um, Let's just dive into the word real quick. What is the purpose of Proverbs? Let's look at Proverbs 1. Why is the book of Proverbs here? Here's what it says. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose, well, there it is. Here we go. It doesn't even hide it. It's to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise, Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them to do what is right, just, and fair. The word wise, wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, you can find it 125 plus times. Now, the word wisdom and wise in the Hebrew would be a picture of a skilled builder. That's literally what the word wise means, to be a skilled builder. And so when um, the book of Proverbs is being written, it is not a prosperity pamphlet, though it does promise success throughout the book of Proverbs. It is actually this book that shows us the wisdom on how to be a skilled builder. Do you ever wonder why people have great marriages? It doesn't happen on an accident. There is skill involved in having a great marriage. Have you ever seen somebody great in their job and great in career? There is a skill involved. You've ever seen somebody build a great house? You need somebody who actually has a skill to build a house. And what Proverbs is doing is trying to help you build the life that God always wanted you to build. But not build it with a cavalier idea, but with actually with skill. Who wants to be skilled today? Amen? So, um, uh, it goes on to say, these Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. I love that it says that it's going to give counsel. It says uh, that it will give knowledge to it. So, the word counsel, uh, again, I just got to give a couple of words. It would be uh, the word, um, the picture in the Hebrew would be uh, navigation, like a ship knowing when to put the sails up and when to put the sails down. So Proverbs is saying, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to encourage you to find wise people to give you counsel on how to navigate your life. Who here loves Apple Maps? Raise your hand. Who here is into Waze? Who loves the Waze? Okay. Oh, we got a battle. That's about a 50-50. I like this. I go back and forth. Um, so when I was 17 years old and I drove to Chelan, Lake Chelan, Washington from Puyallup, Washington, I took out this thing called the Thomas Guide and a map. Okay. Uh, shout out, yeah. 
bring back the Thomas guide, you know, bring back the maps. Um, and it's amazing to me because uh, me and my buddy Drew were driving to Lake Chelan and I was the navigator and I had this map and all the map showed me was that we had to take I-5 to I-90 and go I-90 east. And so I just be like, okay, so as we go here, then the 90 hits this and then hits this road. And I'm literally trying to tell Drew, okay, I think we turn now. And I'm not gonna lie to you, what should have been a hour and a half drive turned into an eight hour adventure <laughs> because I am not as good as Apple Maps. Because once we missed a turn, I was like, I don't know how to go backwards in this thing. It only goes this way, you know? Um, you turn in pages and um, I was a terrible navigator. And the reality is, is that what Proverbs is trying to do It's trying to say, allow me to be your navigator. Because the world will try to be your navigator, but it will, if the enemy can't destroy your life, he'll just delay your life. He'll have you take turns you should have never taken, have you take pit stops you never should have taken. And Proverbs is saying, if you allow me to be your counsel, if you allow me to say, hey, sales go up now, sales turn left here, I'm going to get you where your heart's always desired faster than anyone else could ever get you there. So that's the purpose. That's, that's, that's what the purpose of uh, Proverbs is. So may, may, you want to read Proverbs now? Okay, let's do it. Um, so uh, that's the first point. So what, uh, what is Proverbs? Uh, what is the purpose of Proverbs? Read that, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, what should I be asking for? Ooh, I, let's, let's, let me ask you a question real quick. And I was debating on doing this at the very beginning, but I, I, I just, you know, I started crying, so I forgot. Um, so um, just bear with me. Nine is going to get a, more of a raw one today. So uh, imagine yourself. And you are at your house by yourself. And out of the blue, Jehovah God shows up. Jireh, you're more than enough. You're always enough, okay? So God shows up. Jesus shows up. Literally, boom. Sits in front of you and says this. What do you want me to give to you? Ask me anything and I'll give it to you. What would you ask him for? I want you to think about this real quick. I want you to think of this scenario. And I want you to take it seriously for just a second and say, what would I ask him for? I'm going to let 15 seconds of awkward silence go. And then at the very end, I want you to actually have an answer. And then I'll tell you what you should have said. Okay. (laughs) Um, Ouch. I'm just going to be honest. Um, 15 seconds. Think about it real quick. All right. Well, we'll in there. Um, If you asked me before I did my message prep, I would have said, God, would you give Mission Church a building? It's my biggest prayer right now. You know, this thing is going to be torn down in about a year and a half. We're just leasing this building right now. And so we need to find a home. And as our church has grown, as you can tell, um, we got uh, all the way in the very back. Luke's, Luke's sitting against the wall even. Come on now. Shout out to Luke. Um, and uh, I, love, I love that we get to be here. But in a year and a half, this building's going to be gone. And so I pray all the time for a building. Pray for a building. Pray for a building. Pray for a building. Lord, would you give us a building? Would you give us a building? And as I was studying this message, it's so interesting. The Lord actually does show up to a man in the Bible. His name's Solomon. And he says, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? And Solomon says, I want wisdom. Because it doesn't matter if you give me a marriage, God, if I'm unwise to steward the marriage. It doesn't matter if you give me a career, God, if I'm unwise to actually steward a career. It doesn't matter if you gave me a whole kingdom and you made me king. If I don't have wisdom, I will squander it all. The history books are full of people that were given what they wanted but didn't have wisdom to steward it and they wrecked it. And if I'm being honest, if wisdom is one of those things that we should value at this level and we should ask for, it's amazing how many times we pray for it throughout the week. Like when you leave the house, you go, God, would you give me wisdom today on how to navigate my day? But the reality is we're praying for, God, would you give me a spouse? 
and then you get married and you're unwise and you ruin it. God, would you give me a career? You get the dream job, but you didn't have wisdom and you ruined it. God, I want friends. I want to be in a small group. And you go to that small group and you have no wisdom and you ruin it. And the reality is, is that one of the things that we should value and ask more than anything else is we should be pleading to God, would you give me more wisdom? Would you give me wisdom for today? Oh, do we need wisdom in this era? Come on. Um, Now, what does God say if you ask for wisdom? Oh, I found a verse for you. Are you ready? Uh, John 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. It's amazing to me. Um, uh, We got to go to Mexico last week. Uh, People always ask me, what do you do as a pastor? It's like, ask me on the week and I'll tell you. Like, it's always different. Like last week I was in Mexico building a house. Last night I was in Sonoma overseeing a vineyard and doing a wedding, okay? This is the parallel of ministry, okay? I was like, I was like, it's crazy. Last week I was in Mexico and now I'm at a like high class vineyard. Ministry is crazy. Um, so, um, but when I was in Mexico, we got to build these two homes for these two amazing families. And our family, Oscar and Maria, they had two kids, Abraham and Oscar Jr. And uh, the last day as you're building the house and you're finishing the house, um, there is uh, this moment where a handful of our people from our team that are building takes the family to a local store. You can just say like a big old Target. Let's just say a Target. Uh, I think it's like a Target or Walmart. And they let them buy a ton of stuff. We like, you know, buy them food for months. We buy them clothes. Um, basically anything they need, you know, um, you know, beauty goods. And uh, different churches have different budgets because there is a budget, you know. I mean, and can I just celebrate you, Mr. Church, real quick? Uh, the trip was, a, it's an expensive trip to be able to do. Uh, the church on our end, we invested about $26,000 to build the houses and to bless the families. Uh, and then the people who went on the trip took care of the other $26,000, about $50-something-thousand. Um, and the only reason we could do that is because you're a generous church. So give yourself a hand real quick. That's amazing. Come on. So um, you don't give to a church. You give through a church, just so you know that. And so uh, we got to bless that family. So um, Lisa was taking one of the families, and I walked up to Lisa. And the, the guy who runs this Homes of Hope says, hey, you know, like, you know five $600, it, that's, a, that's a really nice, generous kind of thing to do for a family. Spend five $600 when you take them to um, the store. And I went to Lisa. I said, we're going generous, generous. Like, I want you $800. Like, like just, just let it rip. Like, like I, want you to, I want you to surprise them, you know, because um, that's what our church does, you know. And so... Um, so Lisa takes the family to, um, uh, to, the, uh, to the Target, to the Walmart, and, and one of the kids, he's about 14, she goes, so what do you want? What do you want? You know, Oscar Jr., he's like, I, I want socks. And, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to make it sad for you. I was like, this is a sad Sunday. <laughs> and, uh, and so, like, and then, like, the whole family, none of them are picking out toys or anything. They're picking out, like, necessities. And, and they say, no, like, like, what, what kind of fun, what would be a fun toy? And the reality is, is that um, Oscar had been trained. They had no budget uh, in life, and they, they know that each church has a budget, so they didn't want to, uh, you know, get a toy but then have no socks, you know, get a toy but then have no jacket when it gets cold. And so they're picking the necessities. But they didn't know is that we're not only going to take care of the necessities, we're going to go above and beyond on the necessities. And so, you know, uh, Lisa is, like, watching him, and he sees this, like, one Lego toy, and she, of course, grabs a Lego, and we grab, you know, a remote-controlled car and some other toys also. And, and, and Lisa's telling me this story. She's like, they want, I was like, so what do they want? She's like, he wanted socks, Tyler. And I was like, oh, I, like, I wish I, I should have walked up to Oscar and said, Oscar, Mission Church, we're an amazing church. We're a generous church. We're going to get you anything you want there. Let it rip, kid. And what James 1.5 is saying to you and I, because if I'm being honest, a lot of your prayers right now to the Lord... They're sock prayers. You're just asking for socks. You're like, the Lord's like, ask me for anything. Could I have a promotion? Socks. That's literally, you. you're coming to God, and anything you could ask for, 
Oh, God, would you give me this job? Wow, that's a sock prayer. Oh, God, would you give me this? Uh, da, da, da. And the Lord's like, I would give you the wisdom of the kingdom. And if you got the wisdom of the kingdom, you would get all the little socks you'd want. But the reality is we very rarely ask for the thing we should ask for because we don't know actually what our God has. Let me just tell you, your God has a lot of wisdom and he wants to give it generously, okay? Learn from Oscar. Ask for more than just socks, okay? Amen? Amen. All right. Um, now, so what should I value? The, the Proverbs shows you also what you should, you should value. It says this in Proverbs 3. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding, for wisdom is more profitable than silver and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire compares with her. What? This is Bible telling worldly culture that nothing compares with wisdom. Colossians says, guess who wisdom is? His name is Jesus. Wisdom is actually a person. It's not a thing. It's not a theory. His name is Jesus. Nothing compares. It's amazing, though, what we have allowed to compete with wisdom and with our God. Nothing compares. She offers you a long life in her right hand and riches and honor her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold to her tightly. Woo! Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that you're the one that gives wisdom. We thank you that you are wisdom. I love what it says in your word, God, that, that when the world was being created, that wisdom was there. And God, as you create again, and as you make again, and as you bless again, Lord, we ask that wisdom would be at the foundation. Just like Matthew 7, a man who is wise builds on the rock, and that is you, not on just something. Oh God, we love you, we love you. Everybody said? Amen. It's amazing. The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And I love what uh, Oswald Chambers uh, says. Uh, I think I have it here. He says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas when you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And it's, that's just the reality of it, is that the beginning of wisdom is realizing who has real authority and, and the real author of your life. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I have 25 minutes on the countdown clock, and I have 18 pages of uh, message. And so I'm positive this is a two-parter. And I'm just going to let you know the second part that I'm not going to be able to share today. I, the, my title of my message is Wisdom is Needed. And so one is wisdom is needed uh, um, for your success and failures. We'll talk about that real quick. And then the second point is going to be wisdom is needed so you won't be a fool. Because uh, fool is mentioned 100 plus times in the book of Proverbs because we be just acting like fools all the time. And Proverbs is always trying to help you. Proverbs 1 through 9 shows this picture of wisdom crying out. It says, I'm crying out to you. Come. Come learn from me. But also Proverbs 1 through 9, guess who else cries out? Folly cries out. Folly cries out to mankind and says, I will satisfy you right away. So in our world, right now, there is this tug of war of wisdom crying out to you, come learn from me. But then folly is also crying out to you saying, I will satisfy your quick pleasure right now. And so there's this picture. So, so I, as I was processing um, the message, and again, I didn't preach for two weeks. So when I don't preach for two weeks, I'll study a lot. Watch out. Um, and so, uh, so wisdom is needed. Uh, so you won't be a fool. And then the last part is wisdom is needed in the last days. And so I'm going to actually preach on end times. Um, I know what day Jesus is coming back. Just kidding. Um, I can't even make that joke. I couldn't even finish the joke. I was like, don't say it. It's just a joke. Um, um, no man knows the hour or time when Jesus comes back. But I want to talk about actually about end times because we are living in a very interesting time of our life. And uh, Matthew 24 talks about the signs of the times and to be aware of them. So I'm going to actually preach on end times next week. I'm gonna, if I get there today, I, great. But me even explaining that I can't get there today, I'm already losing time. Okay, anyways. Um, so first point. 
Wisdom is needed in success and suffering. And this, I'm just squeezing this point in uh, because I feel like I just need to share it today. Uh, wisdom is needed in your success and sufferings. There will be two great tests that you will experience in your life. The two greatest tests ever. The two tests are success and the other test is suffering. More than anything else, these two will expose really what's going on in your heart and how you'll pass. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if you had rats in your garage or basement, you would not walk up to your garage like this. I'm coming, you know. I got my rat poison, I'm coming. And then you would open the door. Oh, we don't have any rats, we're good. Okay, just shut the door. That's not how you find rats. C.S. Lewis said, if you want to actually find out if you have rats in your garage, you'd sneak up. You'd make sure it's really dark in there. And you would open the door very slowly and you'd flip the light on real quick. And then you'd see the rats and they'd scurry. And you'd see you have rats. And the reality is, is that all of us, we got some rats. And the only thing that exposes rats, that sneaks up on it, is success and suffering. Because when you succeed, it exposes things you never, never knew what you had in your heart. And when you fail and you experience suffering, it exposes things that you never saw in your heart. It sneaks up on you. And Proverbs is this amazing gift, and it's very quick in Proverbs 3. I just feel like I need to get, this is one of those ones like, I got to share this today. This isn't really the big part of the message, but I need to share this today. Because the reality is, is that it, success destroys people more than suffering does, even in ministry especially. Man, when success comes, man, you start believing your own pub, you start believing your own uh, advertisement. It's amazing what Proverbs says. He goes, God, don't give me too much because I'll forget about you. But don't give me too little because then I'll become a bank robber. I'll start stealing. And, and there's this little pocket saying, and, what, and if you read that out of context, basically, hey, Lord, I know the two tests. And if I do succeed, I'm going to fail. And if I suffer, I'm going to fail. But the Bible shows us that if we have this man named Jesus in our life, that success can actually be a great thing, and that suffering is not the end-all, be-all. So I'll, I'll read you Proverbs 3, and I'll show you uh, the two answers to these things, uh, and then we'll go on to, uh, my favorite part is, uh, what fool are you? That would be fun to talk about. Okay, here we go. Uh, Proverbs 3. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Man, we are in the information age. Can we agree with that? Woo, information everywhere right now. I mean, Google at the fingertips, you know, I mean, literally Google became a verb searching. So we're in the information age, more information ever at our fingertips, but man, we're in a lack of wisdom right now. Information can help you buy a car, but information is not going to help you pick a spouse. Information is going to help you maybe buy a home, but information is not going to be able to actually have you navigate your life with wisdom and discernment. Wisdom and information are two different things. And so wisdom is crying out saying, hey, let me, let me be the one that you seek and watch how I direct your path. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will ha- have healing for your body and strength for your bones. It's interesting he talks about healing for your body and strength for your bones. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. Then you will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So, like I said, the two great tests you'll experience in your life is success and failure. Um, our church is amazing. The first two years, it just went bananas with 27 people, like 700, you know, it was amazing. And I had so many people come up to me and say, Pastor Tyler, hope this isn't going to your head. You know, and, and, and if I just wish they could see my heart and see my mind. I've never, success has never been the thing that, the way that I'm wired at least, that is going to take me out. I've never been the guy like, 
the, take the credit guy. That's just not the way that, that my mind is, is wired. So, so everything that's happened in Mission Church, everything that's happened in my life, it's been very easy for me to understand, Lord, you did all of it because of how I got saved, because if you knew my family, if you actually knew me, I know that God did all, everything in my life great, okay? My, like, my, my parents still, all, every time they visit, they're like, how did this happen with you? And I'm always like, thanks, I guess? I guess it's a compliment, but also you were thinking I was going to be a train wreck? That's great, okay. Joke's on you, his name's Jesus, you know? Like, they're over and over again, like, they're shocked at what happened in my life. And if you know my, 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 my family's history, all it is is you know, divorces and train wrecks and everything. So we come from a rhythm of that. So, so to have a, such an abundant life, I just, I'm just so thankful. I know God did it. I don't have this like lineage of like, my father was the president of the United States and I fall in his line because the Johnson DNA is an amazing DNA. Johnson's army. No, actually, we actually talk about like the Johnson DNA is crazy and how are we going to survive the Johnson DNA? That's how our family talks. You know what I'm saying? So I know the DNA I got is nasty and weird, but then Jesus came in and healed that DNA. So success is never my thing. <clears throat> Failure is. Failure is my thing. Suffering is my thing. And it's amazing when you think you trust God until you actually taste suffering, until you actually taste something that you never thought you would taste, and then you had an idea of how it should play out, and it didn't play out. Something I've never shared on a Sunday is... I was driving in my car, and my EOE was flaring up. And I, I, it's one of the greatest moments I've ever had with the Lord, um, but also one of the most painful moments I've ever had with the Lord. And uh, this is a little while ago, and uh, I was driving my car, and my EOE is so bad, it's hurting to breathe uh, that day. And I just started going, Lord, are you a healer or are you not a healer? Are you going to fix this or not fix this? I've prayed and I prayed, I prayed, I showed her the church we prayed, I have people pray for me at the church. You know, like, what is going on? And I communicate for a living and it hurts to talk a lot of time. What are you going to do, God? So I'm driving, it was interesting, I was driving to the grocery store on one way and then I was driving on the way back from the grocery store. So, so I complain the whole way and I get in the car and I'm driving home. And I remember this, like, there's things that just bubble up uh, in your heart or when you're praying to the Lord. And I remember this uh, part in scripture in the New Testament. It's when everything's going bad, and Jesus says to Peter, are you going to leave too? And Peter says to Jesus, where would I go? Where would I go? And I remember getting in the car and saying, Lord, I'm believing still that you're going to heal this. But even if you don't, I need to know something. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to, and not only am I not leaving, I'm not going to stop telling people about your goodness. You're a good God. And the two medicines. It says that you'll be healthy in this proverb. So it's kind of interesting. Two medicines. One is uh, success. The medicine for success so you don't get prideful and become arrogant and forget God. The medicine that you should take right away is called honor. So like it says, if you, if you become financially fruitful, it says honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your success. So right when you get successful, the first thing you should do is honor God. Not, not honor him later on. Not take praise for yourself. So the medicine you take for success, honor, boom. So I, that's, I think, why it's never been something hard for me is I'm always honoring God right Like, Oh, of course, Jesus gets all the credit. Uh, you know, I'm always deflecting. Oh, oh thank you, you know, go Jesus. And it's like, not tokenary, I really believe it. But then what do you do when you have a wound, and how do you keep it not getting infected? You take trust, and you just put it in the wound over and over again. And that's literally what I've had to do with my EOE the last three years of my life. Lord, I trust that you're doing something in my heart. I trust you're still going to heal it. 
I trust that you're still good. I trust your scripture. I trust you. Your word says that you love, you discipline those who you love. That's what it says in Proverbs 3. Lord, you're doing something. You're leveraging it. Every single thing, every coin flip, you are sovereign. And just keep, when you, when you, were, wounded, when you were wounded in biblical times, and to keep it being uh, uh, not infected, they would put salt in it. Uh, we, we would use hydrogen peroxide. And I'm not going to lie, like, I'd love to tell you that when I say, oh, I trust you, God, it feels like a warm, mm, nah. sometimes it feels like hydrogen peroxide on the wound, like, mm, but it's just getting in there in places that it needs to get in. Wisdom is needed when you succeed this next season, and wisdom is needed when you suffer this next season. May you honor God, and may you trust God. Amen? All right. So that was just one I just wanted to share real quick. Okay, now let's get to the message. Okay, here we go. Uh, <clears throat> I've just been gone for two weeks, and I want to share so much about Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so this will be a fun one. We're going to play a game today, and we're going to talk about what fool are you? Okay. Um, and this will be fun because you're going to be one of these five fools. Okay. Uh, and you're like, I'm not a fool. Trust me. One of them's a good one. Okay. Relax. Um, but the reality is, is the way Proverbs works is it likes to contrast things so you can really see like which one it is. And so it contrasts, you know, wise with the fools and selfish with unselfish, humble with the arrogant. And just, there's contrast throughout. And so <clears throat> something I want to do is uh, I want you to see uh, what fool you might be. And then what I'm going to be able to do in this, and this is why I love Proverbs. Proverbs is very practical. It gives you a solution so you don't have to be that fool anymore. So we're going to diagnose what fool you are, but then we're going to heal the fool you are. Does that sound good? Okay. So, um, and the way I've titled each one is like, do you remember, this is, I'm dating myself, but do you remember Jeff Fox where they, you might be a redneck if, do you guys remember those? <laughs> so I'm going to do, you might be a fool if, Okay. Um, kind of like, uh, I'll, do some, I'll do some to kind of get you ready. Like, you might be a Christian if you've ever used the word fornicate. Okay. <laughs> Who uses that word? Only Christians. There was fornicating. There's a lot of fornication happening. Who uses that? You might be a Christian if you use the word fornicate. Okay. Um, I've, I, before I was a Christian, I didn't even know that word. And then I went to like a youth thing. Hey, hey, oh, don't fornicate. What, what? Oh, don't have sex. Thank you. Okay. Why don't we just use the word sex? Okay. Get rid of the word fornicate. Okay. Okay. Uh, another one. You might be a Christian if you ever use the word fellowship. I just love having fellowship with my friends. We're going to have good fellowship next week. Yeah, you're a Christian. You're a full Christian now. You want to know why? Because I do it. Okay. I'm like, I just really value fellowship. What am I saying right now? What's happened to me? You know? So you might be a Christian. Uh, you might be a Christian if you think DC Talk invented rap music. You're definitely a Christian if you actually know who DC Talk is. Okay. Like, you're like, I know, I know DC Talk. Toby Mac, you know. Um, uh, you may be a Christian if you miss church on Sunday, but you feel that you still can get church credit by eating Chick-fil-A on Monday. <laughs> I don't know any Christian who doesn't go to Chick-fil-A and talk about it being Christian every time. <laughs> oh, oh, holy Chick-fil-A. You know, they're closed on Sunday. So, okay, we get it. We get it. We get it. <clears throat> you may be a Christian. If you thought and think Tim Tebow is the best NFL quarterback. When Tim Tebow was a starter for one, you're like, oh, he's really good. No, he's not. The way he throws the ball, it's like literally going like this. But because he was a Christian, all Christians rallied around him. He's our man. Like, no, no, no. Um, uh, you might be a Christian if your favorite movie stars Kirk Cameron. Uh, and you for sure are a Christian if you laughed at that joke. Because <laughs> Kurt Cameron was on Growing Pains, but then he did all the left behinds. It's, yeah, so. Uh, so that's kind of how the jokes work. Do you get it now? Yeah. Okay, so laughter helps the medicine go down, because now here's why you're a fool. All right, here we go. Um, I got five fools for you. 
You might be a simple fool. So simple fool is found 18 times in Proverbs. You might be a simple fool if you don't read your Bible. And not only read your Bible, if you don't know your Bible, you're a simple fool. And here's why. A simple fool listens to everyone. That's one of the biggest definitions. And the reason why they listen to everyone is because they have no conviction to stand on. They don't know the word. And I love Mike T's illustration. They don't know the true taste, so they're willing to try everything, and they think everything's good. Uh, another way to say it is, uh, it's almost having like a childlike wisdom. When you're four years old, you do not know the order of life yet. Because Proverbs is not a prosperity pamphlet. It shows you how to order your life. It shows you how to create values. It shows you how to have alignment with the Lord. Psalms works on relation with the, uh, with the Lord. Proverbs helps you work on a relationship with people and just yourself. That's what the main priority of Proverbs is. So when you're four years old, you don't understand the order of things. You don't understand there's hot and cold. You don't understand that there's literally like a, uh, the, the, the earth is, you know, circum, uh, you know um, rotating around the sun. Like there's all these things that are perfectly creating order in this world. Um, and so when you're four years old and your mom tells you don't touch the burner because it's hot, hot things hurt you, you don't understand the, the cause and effect reaction. So I remember being four years old and my mom telling me, don't touch the burner. I was an obedient kid. I didn't touch the burner. Didn't know why I couldn't touch the burner, but I just listened to my mom. Don't touch the burner. You, done. But my younger sister, no, my older sister, sorry, a little bit rebellious. It's almost like, don't do it. They're like, I shall do it. You know what I'm saying? And so like, don't touch the burner. And I remember my sister, she's like five or six years old, walks up, you know, burns her hand. And, and like, I told you not to touch the burner. Now, once you touch the burner as a kid, guess what my sister never did? She never touched the burner again. She learned from... I call it education can be expensive. You got to pay for it sometimes. She paid for it. I got free tuition. Don't touch. I got the free tuition. <laughs> now, when a four or five year old does it, you have a lot of mercy on them. Like, oh, you're not supposed to touch the burner. But can you imagine me being 40 being like, what's that? <laughs> ah! You're like, you're 40. What are you doing touching a burner? But what Proverbs shows you is that everybody ages, but not everybody matures. And so you have 40 year olds still touching burners they should never touch living a life they should never live, talking in a way they should never talk, dating people they should never date, <clears throat> chasing things they should never chase after. And so there's 18 things it shows about the symbol fool. First thing is they believe everyone, what everyone says. Well, Proverbs 14, 15 says this. The simple believe anything. Culture comes with a new idea. This is great for your life. Okay. You should vote this way. Okay. You should do this. Okay. They believe anything that culture tells them to do. But the prudent give thought to their steps. Let me read you another one, Proverbs 22, 3. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. But the simpleton, another translation, the fool, goes blindly and suffers the consequences. The, the, the simple fool just keeps living life and goes, why is it not working out for me? Why is it every guy I date is just the worst? Because they are the worst. And you have not asked anybody, hey, do you think this is the right person I should date? This person doesn't honor the Lord. This person doesn't honor me. And I know I dated five other guys just like that, but let's see what happens on the sixth guy. <laughs> no! You know, I, I've never put God first in my life. And so my life has always been lacking. I'm going to try another year having God be second in my life. That's a simple fool decision. The reality is, is a simple fool keeps on making the same decisions and expecting a different outcome. The simple fool has not gathered wisdom because... The, the antidote for the simple fool is very simple. And it's one of the, 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 if there's one of these fools that have the most hope, it's the simple fool. 
And so I could go on and on and share different uh, illustrations about simple fools because it's kind of fun making fun of fools. But anyways, um, uh, let me give you the antidote. Let me give you the answer. How do you save a simple fool? These proverbs will give insight to the simple. Knowledge and discernment to the young. So the proverbs will actually help you not touch the burner again. But let me read you another one, Psalm 19.7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. Yes. Any of you feel pretty stagnant right now? You feel, just feel like, oh, just... That's just whatever. It says that the word will actually revive your soul. His instructions will revive your soul. But it doubles down and goes, the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. So you read the Bible, and the Bible will start telling you how to order your life. Not a prosperity pamphlet, but it will tell you how to order your life. And from Genesis to Revelation, one of the first things that you're supposed to do, and this is the biggest antidote for a lot of people in here today that are making the same decision, is it says in Genesis, it shows this story real quick. It shows, it shows uh, Cain and Abel, and, and they bring this offering to God, and, and Abel um, brings his first fruits to God and brings his first sacrifices to God, and God you know, accepts them and blesses Abel, and, and then Cain brings his scraps to God, and God does not ex- accept his scraps. And Cain's all upset, and he's frustrated, and, and, he, he, and God goes to him. And it's interesting, I never paired these together till this season of my life, but but God says to Cain, hey, Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at the door to control you. And Cain decides not to listen to God's advice, but keep on perpetually putting God second. And of course, then, you know, um, he ends up killing um, Abel. And uh, the reality is, is when a fool doesn't deal with their own things, they don't only hurt themselves, but they start hurting other people. That's what's really scary about a simple fool. And then you get past that story, and then you start looking when Moses, uh, you know, leads his people out of Egypt and in Exodus. There's this uh, thing instilled, and God goes, "Hey, when you um, when your flock starts to increase, I need you to bring me your first flock." And and there's even this story of like when your kids ask, "Why are you honoring God with the first of everything?" It gives you an opportunity to tell people how He saved you out of Egypt and out of the Red Sea. And then over and over again, it says, seek God's uh, kingdom first and all will be given to you. And so there's this thing, if you read the Bible for just a season of your life, the greatest principle you'll learn how to order your life is God needs to be first. But sin is trying to control your schedule, control your desires, and control everything. And so a lot of us are still just making simple, full decisions and wondering why our life isn't what it's called to be. The antidote for you this next season is to read the word of God and see what happens if you obey it. Wow. I'm preaching amazing today, okay? <laughs> My pastor told me to read the Bible and obey it. You're welcome. Okay, I actually say that every week just differently. I kind of sneak it in over here, over here. I'm like, hey, I got an idea. You should obey God. Hey, I got a different idea. You should listen to the Lord. Okay, anyways, um, I have a lot of illustrations with it, but we're just going to go on. So, so you may be a simple fool if you don't have the convictions of God being first, because it's amazing. It says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Fear doesn't mean you're afraid of him. It's he's the number one authority in your life. That's all that means. Matthew 7, you may know it. Jesus goes, I call out to you. A wise man builds his house on this foundation. A.K.A. every decision I make is on the foundation of what Jesus believes, not what I believe. Every decision I make is built on what God has told me to do. That will make you not a simple person, but a wise builder in your life. Okay? Now, let's in the next one. You may be a fool if you don't listen to anyone. So the first fool listens to everyone. The stubborn fool listens to no one. Now, the stubborn fool is found in uh, Proverbs uh, 22 times. The translation for uh, stubborn fool is thick-brained. You may be thick scold here, okay? Um, now, now, let me read you a, a verse, uh, Proverbs 12, 15. Uh, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. 
It's amazing uh, how many people are like, I don't need advice. I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I know these people said this. I think I'm right. It says that uh, man's plans, we actually, it seems right, but it leads to death. A lot of you have made things that seem right, and you're stubborn, and you haven't listened to no one, and you've tasted the consequences. Today is going to change. Uh, so they reject authority. Second thing that happens with a stubborn fool is they're unrestrained. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. So a stubborn fool is just quick. Like they're, they're quick to respond, quick to da-da-da. They're unrestrained. They have, no, um, they have no self-control around them. And then the third thing about a stubborn fool is they often look for a fight. Proverbs 23, avoid a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. If you meet a jerk, you met a jerk. But if you meet three jerks, you might be the jerk, okay? Um, if you find yourself always getting in fights with people, people aren't picking on you. You're a stubborn fool, okay? I don't know. I'm always getting in arguments. It's not them. It's you. And it says in Proverbs that wise people know how to stop an argument and just move on and have a nice day. But a stubborn fool is just always quick to fight, always quick to argue, almost looking to pick a fight. Just, and again, like who wants to be around a stubborn fool? Uh, they're unteachable. They're unteachable. So how do you uh, save a stubborn fool? So how you save a simple fool, just get into the word. Seek truth. Very simple. How do you save a stubborn fool? You can't. You got to pray for him. Sit. And if your parents in the house right now, you're like, my kid, yeah, my kid's a stubborn fool. You're like, why can't I fix him? You can't. Prayer and patience is literally what the Bible says. If you are a stubborn fool or you know somebody's stubborn fool, now we're praying for you and we're being patient with you, okay? We're praying for you to not be a stubborn fool. You listen to people. So, so literally, the, the antidote for a stubborn fool is prayer. So if you see, like, I mean, I'm, I'm a, Lord, would you change my heart? Would you change my, my, my thick skullness and my hardness? Would you change that? And if you know somebody, be praying that God would soften them. Third one, sensual fool. You might be a sensual fool if you do whatever you feel like. Uh, it's found 64 times in the Bible. A simple fool listens to everyone, okay? A stubborn fool listens to no one. A sensual fool listens to, the, to their feelings and flesh. And so Proverbs 10.23 says this, Doing wrong is fun for a fool, but living wisely brings pleasure to the sensible. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. Woo. Proverbs 23-21, For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Can I read one more? Okay, I will. Uh, Proverbs 28, 7. A discerning son heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. It's interesting when you think about a sensual fool. Um, I was wondering if I should tell you what fool I am. Do you want to know what fool I am? None of your business, okay? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, I, I, well, the next one, I'll even tell you real quick, it's the scorning fool, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but out of all the ones... I, I, I decided I'm the sensual fool. And I'll unpack it uh, for you in just a second. Uh, I'm, not the, I'm not the simple fool. Man, I read the Bible all the time. I love truth. I seek it. I'm definitely not the stubborn fool. I'm not always seeking wisdom. I'm always calling, hey, what do you think of this? I'm very collaborative. But when I look at my life, um, I start to see some things in my life that I want to change. And then when I want to do it, I decide just not to do it because I don't feel like it. And so here's what I mean by that. I think I... When I look at my life, I have one life to live, and I, I've done really good at conquering my mornings. Read, work out, study for my messages, dominate them. But nighttime, I've had these five books that I bought from Barnes & Noble that I'm supposed to read. And I go to lay down to read them, but then I also want to watch TV at the same time. 
And so they're just sitting there right now. Because I've just listened to my flesh. Like, I just relax. You, you worked hard today. And it's amazing when I listen to my flesh because it says that those who work hard will lead, but the lazy will be slaves. And the reality is, is that the, the consequence of a sensual fool is this. Life is hard no matter what, basically. And you can choose your heart. Either you, you can be the leader or you can be the slave to what's owning you. I want to lead my life. I don't want to follow my flesh. And so as I've navigated my life this last season, I've re- I wrote down, just the other day when I was preparing my message, the person I want to be to cure my sensual fool. Because sensual just listens to your feelings all the time. And I, and I, and I'm, I am somewhat feelings-based. I, um, I, I wrote down a, a couple things. One is this, is as I want to get out of being a sensual fool, what you need to do is you need to get around people that are really disciplined. So the three antidotes it shows is that if you hang out the wise, you become wise. So if you hang out with those who are disciplined, you're going to learn actually how to be disciplined. So I love, like, uh, Tom Glazier, thank you to their counsel, Tom and Steve, I love you so much, so sweet. Um, if you know Tom Glazier, Tom is one of the most disciplined people I've ever met. The reason why I bought the five books is because he kept on asking me, hey, so what are you reading right now? <laughs> Nothing. Bible, but I mean, outside of that, I mean, then you know, he asked me again, what are you reading? So I went and bought the five books so I could tell him I'm reading a book at least. And I took a picture of him. I've done a lot. I almost put him on Instagram, like, what are you learning today? You know, like one of those things. But well, something I've realized is that if you hang out with other sensual fools, they pull you down. Oh, they will pull you down so quick. Imagine like you're working out with people and then you hang out with other essential fools that aren't working out. They're like, just have Taco Bell. What's the big deal? It's one meal. You're like, good point. I'll tell you Taco Bell. Every time I'm trying to get fit and I hang out with people who aren't trying to get fit, they will talk me into it in two seconds because essential fools pull down and discipline people pull up. And so one of the antidotes for a sensual person that has a sensual fool in them is get around people who are disciplined. Second thing is this. The Proverbs shows that the sensual fool, the only way to fix the sensual fool is this, is tough love. It's tough love. It says this in Proverbs 12, 24, work hard and become a leader, be lazy, become a slave. Punishment is made for mockers and the backs of fools are made to be beaten. What? Can I read you that one? It's the good news. Here we go. Ready? Proverbs 19, 29. Punishment is made for mockers and the backs of fools are made to be beaten. Here's what it means by that. It's saying that when you are a sensual fool, there's two ways that you're going to either get saved. Hang out with disciplined people and get pulled up. Or hang out with central people and keep going down. Or God is going to have to actually beat it out of you. And that, that, that's a strong statement. Now let me unpack the word when it says beating the back of a fool. The Lord will drive things out of your life sometimes. But when God gets to that point, it's painful. When you are a central fool and you make bad central fool decisions... You start hurting your own life, and you start hurting people, and you start losing things you never wanted to lose. But when you actually fall on your face, finally you go, maybe, just maybe I should live this way tomorrow in my life. And so when you look at these different ways that you can be saved as, as, as a fool, I literally go, I do not want to, God, I get it. I get that you are a, a shepherd with a rod and a staff. I'm going to just keep holding on to your rod. I'm just going to hang out with the discipline people. I'm going to take care of this. You don't need to drive it out of me. I'm learning through wisdom. You're either going to learn through wisdom or you're going to learn through your pastor of all pastors. And I want to learn through uh, wisdom and discipline. Uh, I want to uh, read you Romans 12. 
The reality is, is that uh, a sensual person, if you wanted to name it another way, a sensual fool is a lazy fool. Just somebody like, they're never going to actually conquer life because they're just so lazy and chill. They're never, they're never going for it. And so uh, like anybody who wants to get fit, sometimes you need a personal trainer because you can't do it on your own. And so Paul pleads with us, and this is his antidote for essential fool. It's Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, the world is sensual, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn and know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Stop. He's pleading with you saying, hey, sensual fool never sacrifices anything. They just do whatever they feel like. He's saying, let God be your personal trainer and start living a life of sacrifice and becoming everything you're supposed to be and nothing like the world is anymore. My prayer for you, if you are a sensual fool like myself, is I literally have been looking at my week and saying, like, all right, I'm going to sacrifice this time for this. Because all I'm sacrificing is TV to actually become a better leader and a better person. Um, working out even. I, I was going to work out at 9 o'clock. I was going to do like a, a fitness thing. And I was like, man, I sure would like to, like to lay in bed. Today's my day off. And I remember saying, shut up, flesh. And just getting out of bed and going working out. And it's always the best decision to tell your flesh to shut up. I uh, want to hear something real quick. If you don't deal with being a sensual fool, there are no pauses in life. If this is where you want to be and you're a sensual fool, the proverb shows that sensual fools just slide backwards and slide backwards until they have to taste the pain of it or until they're like, literally like, why do I even exist to an extent? My prayer for you is that you get around disciplined people and move forward with them and learn. And God doesn't have to bring in and drive out the central. Amen? Yes. All right. Are you encouraged today? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Um, fourth one. Um, uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and do four and five real quick. I'm so glad I didn't try to do the end times one. That would have been even longer. I'm super excited for next week. I hope this is blessing you. Uh, the, the, the fourth fool is the scoffer or the scorner. You might be a scoffing fool if you're always telling others what to do. So um, we have the simple fool who listens to everyone, the stubborn fool who listens to no one, the sensual fool who listens to, uh, to the feelings and flesh, and the scoffing fool wants everyone to listen to them. So this is the, the flip side. You want everyone to listen to you. Proverbs 18.2, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. You know, like, if I could just give you the kind of picture of who these fools are, it's the media, it's celebrities, Literally, like, the, 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 the attributes of these people is that they ridicule others with high moral standards but don't have high moral standards themselves. Literally what the proverb shows. It shows this. They tear down others while having no real solution. And so our culture, and our media, another um, way you could call this scoffing fool, it's cancel culture right now. It's meeting cancel culture. They have these high standards, but they have terrible standards for themselves. They, have no, they don't want to seek to understand. They just want to tell you what to do. And so what do you do with a scoffing fool? Here's what the Bible says what you're supposed to do with scoffing fool. This is the cure for it. Forgive me. There you go. Drive out the scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. It doesn't actually tell you to save the scoffing fool. This is the one you just boot out of the group. And if I, if I could just encourage you today, some of you, you hang out with scoffing fools all day long because you listen to Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. How is that doing for you? How is that helping you uh, propel the world forward? listening to somebody tear down things, give you a high moral standard here, but has terrible standards here. How is that, what is that producing in our culture? It says that a scoffing fool creates division. I've never seen our nation more divided. Can we agree with that? I've never seen our church more divided. Because the reality is, is you've given your ear to a scoffing fool. 
You've given your ear to uh, opinions of things that you should never listen to. And what the Bible says right there, drive out the scoffer. Translation, turn off the media, turn off dumb opinions, turn off cancel culture, and allow peace to actually bring back the church again. Allow peace to come back into your home again. I, uh, I was debating if I wanted to talk about it. And uh, why not? I cried today. Let's do it. So um, let's talk politics. Okay. And uh, you may be too excited. I'm not going to talk politics really at all, but I will. Uh, here's what I mean by that. Um, wisdom is needed in this season as a pastor when you're trying to lead uh, a culture that is so ingrained in politics now. Politics are like a thing I debated when I was like, you know, a young kid. Now it's identity for everybody. And so for the last four years of, as being a pastor, I have failed people left and right in this church because I'm not political enough or I've actually been too political, which is crazy that some people actually thought I was too political. But if you've ever seen a message, I'm never, I, I don't think I'm political. Maybe I have a blind spot to help me see it. I don't know. But I fail people. And I'm going to keep failing people when it comes to politics because everybody has an expectation of what the pastor should do and say when it comes to political things supposedly there's a there's a midterm election in november that's what i hear okay um maybe i've been paying attention to it and i i was just you know i got other pastor buddies and they're taking political stances and hey good on them i'm not saying that that what they're doing is bad but they don't pasture in the east bay they don't pasture on the creek i got i got buddies who pastor in like you know rural areas and they'll come around to midterms like vote red when you vote red, you're voting, to, you're voting to please God. And I got buddies who are in really liberal areas like, vote blue, because blue pleases God. And then I'm like, I'm in the East Bay. And if I had people raise their hand, if you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, it would be like, I don't know, like the stats say like 70, 30 in our area. And so when I process what, what to share with our church in each season, I was really struggling this last week about, Lord, am I supposed to say anything about any of the props or any of the elections? Like, what do you want from me, God? Because I'll say it. I'll, I'll say whatever you want me to say. And Acts 19 bubbled up in my heart. And as I was praying, and it's when Paul goes to Ephesus and he turns Ephesus upside down and they want to kill him for it. And uh, you're like, what did he do in Ephesus? Why did they want to kill him? Did he tear down Artemis? Was he, did he have seven things that he shared that, they, that Christians should live by because it's what Christians should do? And they say, as they're trying to kill him, the magistrate comes up and goes, we're not allowed to kill Paul. First of all, he's a Roman citizen. Second of all, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't tear down Artemis. All he did was lift up the name of Jesus. And all Paul did for his whole life was lift up the name of Jesus. And because of that, cities were turned upside down. I live in a culture today where people want me to tell them, where should I vote here and what should I vote here? What I'm trying to do as a pastor is to get wisdom inside of you so when you go and do vote, that you have the foundation of God and you know how to vote. If I am your pastor, vote on this one and vote this one, vote this one, that gets really culty to me, if I could just be honest. But if I can get Jesus inside of you, maybe, just maybe, we turn the East Bay upside down. Now. Bible says this when you correct a, a mocker. I was going to hear it. Anyone who rebecks a mocker will get, a, uh, will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise and they will love you. So if I told you right now, do this and don't do that. It says the people in the house right now that don't know the Lord are just going to hate me. 
where's the fruit in that as a pastor? But then the ones who do want me to say are like, yeah, that's my guy. I'm just not going to be your guy then. But if you want a pastor who's going to lift up the name of Jesus for the rest of his life, I'm your guy. Matthew 28, 6, Matthew 28, <laughs> sorry. Matthew 28 is very clear what my commission is. is to go make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do here at Mission Church. Do I have my political bents? Of course I do. But man, they don't hold a candle to the one I live for and the one I preach. Now, I want to finish with this, and this is uh, Christful. You might be Christ. This is a good one. Okay, everybody, we're going to finish with happy. Um, you might be Christful if you made people ask, why are you doing that? 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 10 says this, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles uh, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have, uh, we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. Paul is saying, we're making all these decisions and we're suffering things for Jesus, and people are calling us fools for it. We're dying for him, we're sacrificed for him, and we look like fools. And the reality is, the more you live your life, people ask you, why do you prioritize that? And there's five things that can make you look like a fool in this next season. You ready? First one is this. Forgiving. Loving your enemy. Being kind to people that are unkind to you. People go, I don't know where that's from. How did you do that? It looks foolish to, to love the other side right now. May we be forgiving and love the other side. Another thing that looks foolish right now is generosity. We live in a very selfish culture. And the culture says, take care of you first. And so when you become a servant and you start serving, you look kind of foolish. And people say, why do you prioritize other people so much? Well, the Bible says that those who serve will be refreshed. Those who rest will be refreshed. So when you make generosity a core part of your life, you're going to look like Christ's fool, and that's a good thing. Third thing is this, faithfulness, commitment. Man, we live in a transient society. Unplug, plug in, unplug, plug in. Faithfulness freaks people out these days. Being committed to things. I remember being a young kid, and I had this friend, and I was like, hey, uh, um, uh, you should spend the night. And he says, actually, we go to church every Sunday. I'm not allowed to miss church on Sunday. I was like, well, you're, that's weird. And I remember, I remember I flicked him. I said, God will forgive you, and I flicked him like that. Um, we're like in eighth grade. And it just made me like, I was like, that, like God, God's that important to you? And I remember him going to church that Sunday, and then, and then uh, you know, a few months uh, later, I asked him, can I try the thing that you like so much? And it was the first experience I ever had with church. His mom picked me up and brought me to youth group for the next seven months of my life. It was the first time I started dipping my toe in with Jesus. And the reason why I was so intrigued is I never met anybody that committed to Jesus. And I was the only person I would trust to give Jesus a shot was a committed one. And so when you start being really committed to things, you may think it turns people off, but it actually intrigues them to the things that you value. So faithfulness. Another one is this. Kingdom values and purity. Man, we, we live in a society that values anything and everything but kingdom values just go home today and write down the values of your home and just start dreaming what, what, what's the values of our home and may god shape them of course may, first one man this home is gonna be a house that serves the lord we're gonna be a loving home because god is love we're gonna be a kind home we're gonna be a generous home our, our doors are gonna be open to people and start writing those things down trust me that will look so weird to the world in a good way Yeah, it's, I'm already 15 minutes over. I don't think I can do it in my next 30 minutes. So we're going to stop here. Uh, I've never done a two-parter before, so, uh, but I believe next week's going to be fun. We're going to be Matthew 24, in times. Uh, wisdom is needed in the last days. But I, I want to leave with this thought real quick. Um, Proverbs was written before um, 
the, the New Testament. Proverbs was written before Jesus came and died on a cross. And so when you read Proverbs, there's hope in it, but there's not like, oh yeah, okay, I'm good. And we're all born as fools. And um, the wisest thing anybody can do, I really believe this, is let Jesus in. And, I, and I'll finish with this verse. And uh, this is the hope for all of us today as we, uh, as we leave. Revelation 3.20 says this, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me and on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. This is Jesus saying, I'm knocking on the door. I want to come into your life and I want to change your life. It sounds a lot like Proverbs 1. Wisdom shouts at the street. She cries out in public. She calls out, how long will you mockers relish and mock? And how long will you fools uh, hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. Some of you, Jesus has been knocking for a long time. Today's the day you open the door. Will you bow your heads with me? I don't know if it's your first time or second time in church, but if you want to say yes to Jesus today, you want to say yes to the one who is wiser than all wise, that, that will change your life, direct you on the, the greatest path. Simple question today. If you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to salvation, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and catch my eye. On the count of three, you want to say yes to Jesus. Yes to salvation. One, two, three. Raise it up, raise it up. I see you. That's a great decision. I see you. That's a great decision. I see you, and I see you, I see you, and I see you. Come on. I see you in the back. Got a ton of hands today. Come on now. I see you in the back. Come on. That's a great decision. That's a great decision. You know, I, I love our church. You're going to stand up. We're going to pray. I love, I love baptism Sundays. We got, I think, 10, 10 baptisms today. Uh, if you want to get baptized today, hang around for second service. We'll hook you up. We got shirts. We got towels. Um, if you just got saved, like, you know what? I'm going to, might as well get baptized today too. You are invited to do that. Um, there's something I love about our church that I don't take for granted is that every week God is bringing new people into his kingdom. Uh, God's breathing on this house. And so I just want to thank you for being so bold and saying yes to Jesus today. I want to say thank you to people who got baptized today. Can we give it up for our people who got baptized today? So special. So special. Where, where, where's, where, is Ashley Clayton in the, in the room? Ashley, I, uh, as you were getting baptized, uh, I feel like I put this on my heart to share with you. Um, and, and, and I want to celebrate it as a house because you've been with us since day one. Is there has been such an assignment from the enemy to steal you from the kingdom. And there's this verse in Ephesians, and I just I want you to hear it. Just, the Bible says, stand firm. And I feel like God says, I'm so pleased with Ashley. You stood firm as the enemy tried to steal you away. As the enemy tried to trick you away. And you stood firm. And because you stood firm, there was great abundance ahead. There was great blessing ahead. I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful for you. Literally, uh, we're so excited to celebrate it. So um, we got to pray for everybody got saved today. So it's our first prayer. Your first prayer as a new believer. Are you ready? Repeat after me. Jesus, Jesus. come into my life. Today, I declare you are my God. Today, I declare I am saved. I say goodbye to my past and hello to my promises. I say goodbye to being a fool. And I said, hello to being wise. And everybody said, I'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.